BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Hello, Sci-Fi Wire fans, and welcome to episode 58 of Who Won the Week, a podcast dedicated to the top stories from the week in geek. I am Adam Swiderski, editor-in-chief of Sci-Fi Wire, and it is January 12th. 2017. I am joined, as always, on the podcast by Danny Ross, contributing editor at SciFiWire.com. Aaron Sagers uh, has been sacrificed to Travlor, the dark <laughs> god of travel in his gaping maw. Uh, he was supposed to be here, but there some flights got in the way of that. But joining us uh, in his stead, if you want to introduce yourself, Mr. Brian Ink, in his new role as junior editor. Are you of junior Sci-Fi editor? Wire. I don't even know what I yeah. am, but. I've uh, I've gone over to Sci-Fi Wire completely, and it's I'm very happy to fill in for Mr. Sagers as he's lost in the air. I'm just excited to call you Junior from now yeah. on. That's I, I'll I'll I own it. I will, you, you, I will own it. you guys can't see this, but the metamorphosis is like fully taking effect. The yeah. wings are sprouting out of his back, <laughs> and much, the fire is. I have much to learn, but I got yeah. the wings. Yeah. So there you go. Welcome, Brian. Thanks. Uh, Good to be back. Of a slow time in the news in the sci-fi world at this point of the year. Uh, we're all waiting for all the summer movie anticipation to start, and that doesn't happen for another month or so. So yeah, we're a little light on news. We'll have something to talk about with the uh, recent, some new stuff from the Netflix Marvel Universe very briefly. But after that, we're going to dive into the topic of the month on Sci-Fi Wire, which is cult classic movies. Uh, we've been doing a bunch of features about that. You may have seen one go up today by our own Danny Roth. Um, and we're going to talk a lot about what makes a cult movie, what our favorite cult movies are, and the state of the genre, if you can call it that, uh, now and in the future. But first, as always, we like to go around the table and talk a little bit about what we are geeking out about this week. Brian, do you want to kick that one off? Oh, my goodness. Well, it's been such a week full of um, intense transition. Yes. And learning and editing, lots of editing. Uh, but what have I what have I been doing? You know what I uh, I watched the first episode of Taboo on uh, FX. Oh, featuring is, uh, Tom Hardy. Featuring Tom Hardy and a lot of tattoos. And um, Ridley Scott makes things look pretty. Boy, does he! Yeah, even on the small screen. So what is what is the nature of Taboo? Because I've I've only seen like these stylized commercials, and I don't uh, know what it's about. I mean, if, if you guys haven't watched it yet, I don't want to give away too much away. But um, it does have something to do with. Uh, Maybe guy who was dead is not dead anymore. What? Coming back to life to do stuff. <laughs> he came the, back to life through the to lens do of stuff. Rid- through the and lens things. of Ridley Scott. Yes, but uh, highly recommended. Um, a very strong beginning for what will probably be a very strange, uh, but satisfying FX series. And yet again, we see another movie star in a series on TV. Tom Hardy. Yeah, it's amazing how that keeps happening. But there you go. Taboo. Danny? Um, I would like to say that I am very happy that uh, there was something from uh, the director of Star Wars Episode Eight, uh, who said that um, it would be more character-driven, Episode Eight. 
Just okay. to bring it back around again that I am right that Rogue One is not a good movie. Adam wasn't around last week while I basted him when he could not defend himself. You know, I've seen Rogue One twice more, and I like it more every time I see it. You're wrong. But um, but I'm really glad about that. And I also, uh, I have been watching a lot of Deep Space Nine um, and I've been talking online about this, and I'll do it on the podcast, too, whenever there's an episode that I think is especially uh, worthwhile, given the current, cur- current, let's say, socioeconomic political climate. Um, I watched an episode called Destiny, uh, which involves these Cardassians, these scientists coming to the station. This is a time in which uh, Bejor and Cardassia are having a peace and they're going to do some experiments in the wormhole. And a, uh, a Bajoran arrives on the station, a Vedic, and says, uh, Emissary, which is Cisco's title amongst the Bajorans, um, you can't do this. There is a prophecy uh, that says that you, you, things will go really badly, that things will be destroyed, that Bajar will be in ruin. And it's this whole argument about um, the place of religion and prophecy in the world and the place of science and the the complex space in which they sometimes meet. And uh, that is an ongoing issue oh in the goodness. real world. I see no way in which that's relevant. Yeah, no, so true, so true. Anyway, it's a great episode, and, yeah. and there is a, a conversation between Cisco and Kira, uh, which is so fascinating. And the way that the story worked itself out really is kind of ambivalent, but in a way that I found immensely gratifying because it doesn't really give you a good answer, but the answer that it does give is that there are points of view that you have to take into account no matter what um, and that both sides do have points that are worthwhile. And that's kind of a nice thing to think about in 2017 when there's not a lot of that. So if you're feeling like you hate the the, the perceived other, maybe watch Destiny. It might make you feel a little better. I loved that so much about Deep Space Nine that they ne- they – we're not afraid to give you a difficult and inconclusive answer to philosophical questions. It is it is yep. the best Star Trek. It is it was so far ahead of its time and it is I think perhaps one of the greatest television shows ever made. Yeah. So, if you just in general, not even just that episode. I mean, I'll I'll have one of these every week probably, but um you should really rewatch it. My wife had never watched it before and that was the other impetus. I said you you have to especially now, um, and she has been enjoying it immensely. Very cool. Well, my thing for this week, I uh, recently found a book that I enjoyed very much, or finished a book that I enjoyed very much, which is a book called Dark Matter by Blake Crouch. Uh, it came out in July of 2016. At the end of the year slash beginning of 2017, I go back and look at all the, you know, what's the best science fiction that came out in this past year, and that was on the list. So I checked it out. As you guys know, if you've listened to this podcast before, I am constantly on the hunt for science fiction and fantasy books that are not part of a franchise mm. because I feel like the franchise model in books, I just, I can't. It's like, oh, I'm going to read book one of the cycle of Triskelion or whatever, and it goes on for 50 books, mm. and I have to commit to that. And if I want to get the full story, and it just, I feel like a lot of times people are just churning out books to sell them. Go figure. But uh, but no, so this is a standalone science fiction novel that was highly recommended on Goodreads by some friends of mine. And can you give stuff. me the elevator pitch? Yes, I can. Well, kind of. There's a lot to. There's a lot I don't want to spoil. Well, give me but, the the, the, so the gist. If, basically, like, what I would guy, need, want 
make me want to read it. There's a guy. Wow. That's it. No, that's all I could do. Sounds like taboo. Exactly. <laughs> he does some and he, stuff. He does some things. No. Uh, there's, so there's a guy who is a scientist. He was a scientist. Kind of gave up science to service his family uh, situation. Not service his family, Danny. Uh, but to service his family I made situation. a face. I made a face. Uh, and is now just like a professor at some middling college. And one night he is kidnapped uh, at gunpoint. And, you know, I can't say much more than that. And then he finds himself in a very unusual situation that I don't want to give away because the book... And it's actually... The, the thing that's cool is that there's a twist that you see coming from a mile away. And you're like, oh, okay, this is like... You know, you're not hiding this very well, Blake Crouch. And then another twist comes down the road that I didn't see coming and kind of that's based on the first thing, and it, it throws everything into uh, into chaos, beautiful chaos. So definitely worth checking out. It's a very economical read. Uh, a lot of people have a little problem with the guy's style because he tends to write in sentence fragments and it's kind of stylized, but I enjoyed it. I plowed through it in like three or four days. And uh, I, I recommend it very much to science fiction fans. Blake Crouch's Dark Matter. Cool. There you go. Yeah. Not to be confused with Dark Matter on Sci-Fi Channel. Exactly. Exactly. Now, before we yeah, segue, way to dilute the brand. I, know. I have to uh, say something that I'm going to geek out about next week. Is Danny told me that the ending of M Night Shyamalan's Split will quote unquote change my life. Yeah, it will. I told you that too. So I told you, you said yeah. Danny said to tell yes. Brian that his life will be changed. I um, and I'm ready for that. Yes, I. Will I'll be, be seeing it on Tuesday. I will be. I will be waiting. Um, actually, I have an email from from somebody from Split right now, which I'll look at when this podcast is over. Like I heard you talking about. They, they, they really did. They yeah. sent the. Uh, you're gonna spoil it, but um, that is the thing. Um, next week it comes out. I probably will not talk about it on that day. I don't think. I think we'll wait until the following week. Because the the twist is a big enough, I think, that it will be a thing that people will still be talking about a week later. Can't wait for sure. Yeah, I'm there. Um, and I think that Adam would agree with me on this point. Yeah, Danny told me he spilled the beans. I certainly did not, because we were told not to. Well, no. So I definitely in didn't. In private spill the conversation, beans. Yes. private conversation to my boss. If yes. you're listening, split, only because it had split to happen. Marketing team. Yeah, only because it had to happen in yes. order for us to do our jobs. The yes. version of the beans that I got was tell Brian. His life will change. Yeah, yeah. Once, and, ag- yeah. So once again, and I'll probably say it again next week. Is you better see Split. <laughs> I'm ready. You better see it. I'm not Let's saying that there won't be a lot of things that people will say are prob- problematic, and there are even some things that I find to be problematic about it. However, I still think that it is worth seeing as a piece of art, and uh, and as something that has a very interesting twist. There you go. We'll find out. Yes. Um, In the meantime, do you wanna do you wanna talk about? TV related things, or do you want to skip straight ahead to? No, cult, we can talk a little. Let's, let's talk a little about TV because it's everything's coming back now. Mid season premieres are happening. Uh, yeah. This week we had Colony, and what was the other one that I forgot off the top of my head? Oh, it's killing me. Agents of Shield. Agents of Shield. Marvel's Agents of Shield. Uh, we got Sons more stuff Ghost coming Rider. up. Yeah. So, what do you guys? What do you? What winter returning TV are you most looking forward to? I. I mean, I. I'm constantly now thinking about the fact that um, Legends of Tomorrow is going to have an episode with a young George Lucas. Right. That is delightful to me. Yes. I don't know why I'm so delighted about that, <laughs> but, you know, they they, they revealed, um, uh, what's his face? I'm really embarrassed that his name went out of my head. Arthur Darville's character, who's like the main character Rory? of the show. 
Not Rory. <laughs> That's all I know him as. I just like <laughs> to think that he is Rory, who then went on and became a Time Ranger or whatever. Anyway, yes, yes. So, yeah. so, so Arthur Darvill will like <laughs> appeared at the very end before they went on hiatus. So he will be back, and I'm excited to see him come back. It's been a, it's been interesting getting these other characters to sort of hit the ground running and not know what they're doing. But it, I'm excited to see how his character is going to feel when he comes back. Uh, and a new show that I actually don't know when is coming out um, that I saw a screener of called Making History. Looks really good, and I would never have even known about it if it weren't for the Fox screening website. Is that a time travel show? It yeah. is a time travel time show. Time travel is so hot right time now. Time travel comedy. But it's funny. So it, it's, it's, it's exact produced by Phil Lord and Chris Miller, uh, who a lot hey. of folks know. Um, they do Last Man on Earth. They did the Lego movie. They did Clone High, maybe one of the greatest animated series of all time. They're doing Han Solo, right? Right. I believe that, yes, that is correct. And uh, this show is about a dummy dumb who happens upon a time machine and goes back to revolutionary times. And in bringing his 21st century ethics and, and, uh, and way of thinking uh, causes people to suddenly think, that the revolutions may be just too much work. Uh, and he doesn't even realize he's done it until things start to go awry and he has to go back and fix it. Uh, and it stars uh, Adam Pally from The Mini Project, who I think is very funny, and uh, uh, Yasser Lester from Girls, uh, who is great in this, and uh, Leighton Meester, uh, who was the Queen Bee from, from Gossip Girl. Um, Blair Waldorf, I love her, and I am always waiting for her to do more good stuff. I'm, Everyone's good in it. It is a little weird at first, but by the end of the half hour, I was really into it, and uh, and I was like, oh man, I can't believe I have to wait now until probably you know sometime in the spring before it, I get to see where it goes. But it's it's really worthwhile. If if you hadn't heard of it or if you heard of it more unsure, definitely give that pilot a shot. Why do you guys think time travel is so hot on TV right now? I feel like because people don't want to live in the now. Maybe I mean because <laughs> we went through a period that's... where it was zombies or dystopia, and now it, like we have with Timeless and that one that's on Netflix that just came out. I can't remember the yep. name and, of. And uh, and they're doing now a TV series version of the Malcolm McDowell David Warner movie. Yep, time, time after time. After time. That's yep. coming out. Yeah, it's a lot of stuff. So a what's lot. up with that? Why why are we all wanting to travel what's up time with right that? now? I think it's a a narrative challenge. Um, and a conceptual challenge. I think it's an opportunity to, how have other people done time travel? And now let's do it different. Right. I mean, one of the main elements of Terry Gilliam's 12 Monkeys, I remember, is just one line from from Cole where he says, how can I change this? It's already happened. So that was the rule of 12 Monkeys. It's like you can't change the past because it's happened. Yeah. So no matter what he does in the past, it's nothing can change. So, I mean, that was that movie's thing. What's everybody else's thing? Yeah. It presents a lot of opportunity to shake it up. And it's just funny to see people go in different time periods sometimes. I just think that, that the world is in a really, is in a place of flux. And I think as a matter of course, people are constantly asking themselves what would have happened if this thing was different. And once you ask that once, you are compelled, I think, to ask it a million times. Well, what if this happened? What if this happened? And I think that that automatically generates a lot of time travel stories because so much, you know, is built on that, you yeah. know, or like Man in the High Castle where it's like, what if the Nazis, good grief, boy, the tale is old as time. <laughs> uh, 
the Nazis win World War II. It's just but it's that yeah. boy. That is the thing that everybody asks. What would happen if the Nazis won? I mean, that's that. I'm glad that there is a show that's doing well at that. But uh, yeah. but I do think that's why. I think that's a big part of the cultural zeitgeist right now is that people are stressed about the world, wondering how things might have gone different, and therefore time travel instantaneously becomes this big thing. There you so. go. It also allowed for you all to hear a sneak preview of Danny Roth's upcoming album, Songs of Melancholy. And other tales. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it was beautiful. Brian, what are you? It was. What TV show are you looking for? Well, Taboo, I'm really into. Taboo. Just from, yeah. just from the, just yeah. what is what is coming out in is what is with Netflix this this month? I'm drawing a blank. Do we have a new Marvel show this month? Not or this that's month. Not till in a couple months, I think we have Iron Fist. We have Iron Fist next. The next okay. Big one. So, um, Taboo, I'm really digging right now. Mm-hmm. That's the one I'm, and I actually just started Westworld. Oh, oh yeah. good stuff. So. I'm uh, very much looking forward to going on that journey. So many have gone on before me, yeah. but uh, so far so good. I, I haven't started it yet either. I'm I'm way behind. I'm digging HBO yeah. on I demand. Want, I want them to immediately make more episodes of Crazy Head, though. That's what I want. Crazy Head was great. That's great. Yeah. If they could announce more episodes of that right away. I love that thing that Netflix is doing now, by the way, which is just acquiring these uh, British shows or shows from other countries sure. and, and putting them up as Netflix shows and... It gives you the opportunity to catch up on some of this stuff. Well, the reason why is every morning the Netflix executives get in the conference room and they have, they look at the billions of dollar bills stacked uh-huh. to the ceiling and they say, how can we spend this today? Well, first, I think what they do is they light a bunch of them on fire and they inhale the fumes and have a vision. <laughs> and then they, inspires them to that, yes, to exactly. that day. So let's buy that British kind of show. Capitalistic let's make a class. horror movie exactly. and release it in two weeks. Exactly. Yeah, and I then like they it. do. Yeah. I like it. <laughs> Well, for me, my, my biggest is a, a returning show that's starting its second season and comes from our corporate parent, Sci-Fi, so I have to say that as a disclaimer, but I am very excited for The Expanse. Yes. I uh, Season 2, which comes out February 1st. Uh, shameless plug, Sci-Fi Wire will be launching an episodic podcast for The Expanse Season 2 with uh, Ty Frank and Daniel Abraham, who created the universe. Cool. Uh, along with that show. But as a fan, I've, I've been a fan of the books for a long time. Um loved the first season and I've gotten to see the first couple episodes of the second season and they there is it's it, this happened with Game of Thrones too it's like once a show does well and gets a certain amount of buzz and takes a break they come back with a certain level of confidence that you didn't see the first time around where they were like are people going to accept this or not I don't know you know we have to kind of tap dance on certain things and now they they have zero f's to give like there are Martian Marines in power armor running around, and yeah, it's not like blockbuster movie level special effects, but they really are kind of going for it, I think, a little bit. And yeah. for those who know the books and are into uh, Bobby Draper, the character of Bobby Draper, who is this Martian Marine badass, they got Frankie Adams to play her, who is a kind of unknown from New Zealand uh, boxer, uh, just so great in the part. So. I'm very excited for The Expanse. I'm very excited to see more of it. And, uh, yeah, I think, you know, as, as it's great to see a show like that. We don't have a lot of just, hey, we're in space shows out nowadays, you know. Well, I have to say one thing I liked about season one of The Expanse is it rather effortlessly went from this kind of smarty-pants sci-fi political thriller to this kind of intrigue-filled action series and then to full-throttle horror, Body horror at the end. Yeah. So yeah. it'll be neat to see where it goes in season two. Yeah, definitely. We're looking forward to that. But uh, So that's TV, and of course we want to hear from you guys what your 
looking forward to from the TV world. So uh, drop us a line in the comments on Twitter. Let us know what you think. Let us know uh, what you are going to watch with all the season premieres that are coming up. And uh, we'd love to hear from you. But after that, moving on from the television world, uh, cult films, the theme on Sci-Fi Wire this month. So, Danny, you you wrote the piece that was going. I, I, I did. I did. This is what, what I think is really interesting about this is that um, I don't pay a lot of attention, and so I got an email from Adam's boss saying, "Hey, <laughs> there's <laughs> so unprofessional. Um, hey, it's it's cult movie month. Please, would you please send some 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 feature ideas for the love of God? He did it in a nice way, but that, yeah. you know, I'm sure that was the undertone. And the first thing I thought was, what even constitutes a cult movie anymore? Um, which uh, has now generated a conversation among some friends of mine. We, uh, Adam and I, were talking about this, and um, this has really become sort of this interesting notion because a cult movie, at least um, for me growing up, was a movie that you wouldn't necessarily know about right away. It's not a big part of the universal cultural zeitgeist. It's not like Star Wars where everybody knows it. But it's something that a small group of people um, has an unbelievably tight hold of that they'll quote that movie and they'll talk about that movie or TV show or whatever it is um, and sort of have their own little corner of the sky um, and identify with that thing in a very powerful and meaningful and personal way. Um, and there are no movies that cannot be known. And really, if you can find almost anything within 24 hours, um, what is a cult movie? And are there new things coming out that could fall under the auspices of cult status? Well, and that's, you- I think the thing that's interesting, too, is that back in the day, even something that was known to all of geekdom could be considered right. a cult movie. Sure. Because geekdom at that time was a small cross-section of, of society. And now that geekdom is everywhere and you're seeing Doctor Who ads on the sides of buses in New York City, you know, it's it's... And even some, some, so something that's just popular with geeks now will be immensely popular in the world as opposed to just something that a few people know. So I think that that's a big part of why that con- – I, I think about Buckaroo Banzai. Sure. Right? And, like, that was kind of the quintessential for a long time cult sci-fi movie. If you knew about Buckaroo Banzai and you quoted, you quoted Buckaroo Banzai to somebody and they quoted it back, it was like a code, right? You knew that they were down uh, with a certain lifestyle. And – uh and now I feel like that movie, and everybody knows that movie. And not everybody, but it's like, it, it's, not, it's not a secret handshake anymore, you know? So, I mean, we were thinking, you know, one of the things we were going we're gonna to talk about is like, what are our favorite cult films? And I'm thinking, oh, Buckaroo Banzai. And then I was like, does that even qualify at this point? I think that, that it was one ever. I think that anything that was a cult movie, you can still call one. Yeah. I think what's interesting to me is what will be cult going forward like what is that going to be is that going to be a thing that gets you know oh here's a weird youtube series i mean i saw on vimeo or you know like somebody put out a a, only a certain number of copies on vhs of a movie they made because they wanted it to be a cult movie but if someone sets out with the goal of making something cult then what does that mean that's you know that's like um uh when i was talking about there's going to be by the time this podcast comes out maybe the second list will be out too but i we're doing two one is uh cult movies that we think could be remade or get a sequel for and then ones that should be left alone and 
Uh, my the number one thing I thought that should be left alone ended up being Troll Two, specifically because someone had raised the idea behind the scenes. The original director and the 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 guy that played the kid who did the best worst movie documentary about Troll Two about doing Troll Two Part Two, and I thought, no, <laughs> I really like Best Worst Movie. That's a great documentary. It's a lot of fun. I love Troll 2, but it is a ter- it is awful. And y- if you set out to make a bad movie, that's like, you know, Mystery Science Theater guys, the best brands guys always used to say this, which is that they'd get all these suggestions. People like, oh, you know, riff my movie, riff my movie, because I made it bad for right. you. But that's not how it works, you know. I, Mike and those guys um, have never felt that way. And Joel always had a point of saying, you know, everything that we riffed, I loved, you know. So if somebody said, hey, look what I made, it's garbage, then why would I do that? Then you have Sharknado, which is a huge. Wow. No, I'm... <laughs> no listen. You did it. You said it. I, we just I did say it. You guys didn't see it, but the camera just did a whip pan. Yeah, yeah. exactly. No, listen, like, I I appreciate Sharknado for the level that it, that it comes from, but, like, <laughs> That movie was made to be goofy and ridiculous and over the top, and it worked. Like it's a, it they've spawned four sequels for better or worse, you know. And I think that it's interesting because I agree with you. I think that there's a certain, I don't want to say disingenuousness, but I, I I appreciate so much more when something is just so bad it's good unintentionally, and that so rarely happens now because there's a self awareness. And everybody that there's an appreciation for so bad it's good things that people shoot for that. Yeah, just make with varying just, degrees just make, of success. Just make your thing. Yeah. yeah, it's weird. I just I don't. I'm really. I would never set out to make something with that intention because I fundamentally find that to be a flawed way of thinking. Obviously, from an economic place, I'm wrong. I just don't care. Um, but yeah, I, I think this is very, I think this is very interesting. This is like going to be an ongoing conversation amongst people that I know. And again, uh, if you're listening, what do you, do you think that there is room in the world? Does cult still hold the same meaning that it did? And where, if you have seen something recently and said, man, that's, that's, that's destined to be a cult classic. Where did you find it? Why did you think that? Well, that's what I was going to ask you guys, barring, you know, your all time favorite cult classics, which we'll get to in a minute. Have you seen something in the past couple of years that you think will have that status that someday will be called a cult classic? Well, let me ask you, do you think the guild is is a culty thing? Sure. Okay, that's the thing that comes to my mind. It um I mean it's on Netflix, which is so weird to think, but you know, that was the one YouTube series that I mean it spawned Geek and Sundry and it really was the thing that truly kicked off Felicia Day's career and uh, because Will Wheaton was involved, that really restarted his career in a lot of ways. So to me, that thing that started from nothing at all and was found by a small group of people was cult. And because it was at any point in time, to me, in my mind, it's always a little bit. And it's still, I mean, does the entire planet know the Guild or is that still largely a, a nerd thing? I think maybe it's still mostly the second, even though it happened to uh, give people some legs that they didn't expect to end up having from it. Brian, what about you? Have you seen anything that you think will be a cult classic years from now? I'm trying to think of the experience of when I think of cult movies. When I was in college, they would have midnight screenings on Fridays and Saturday nights, and someone would find a 16-millimeter print that was beat to crap, and they would project it on the wall of the math science building. And that's how I saw Beyond the Valley of the Dolls. 
That's why I'd seen heavy metal for probably like the 10th time. But in that kind of experience, thinking of what I saw, maybe Nicholas Winning Refn's uh, The Neon Demon might be okay. appreciated in that kind of environment at some point. The Neon Demon. I mean, in that kind of environment. Um, at college at midnight. Go ahead. You hate it? I hated it. Did you? <laughs> I, I didn't say it was a good movie, it. but I mean, I could see you could have finding an audience. It's so boring. Anyway, no, I actually, but I mean, it's. it's, I it's loved it's, it. But that's the type. Of, that's the well, whole thing. Again, I think cult classics have to be divisive as well. I mean, they, they they certainly can be. That's yeah. for sure. I, I will say, seeing the Neon Demon and the Angelica was oh. the first time the F train going by mixed perfectly with the music every single time. Oh, yeah, for uh. those who don't live in New York City, there's a theater <laughs> called the Angelica that plays a lot of art films and more independent film, and it, the theaters are in the basement, and the subway train runs very close to that, so you'll often be sitting in the, in the middle of the movie, and suddenly you, the whole room starts to rumble because the F train's going by. Yeah, so. it's kind of neat. Um, yeah. I would say, uh, at least, uh, not new stuff, but um, Alamo Drafthouse does those on Tuesdays and Wednesdays. They do yep. a lot of, they'll, they'll get all 35 millimeters of stuff even now. And do that stuff. My buddy did uh, did one a mausoleum. I was away. I was in Tennessee. I'm still so broken up about it. But um, that's a movie. I don't know if that's a cult movie, but it's a really unknown film. Uh, you had to be a real horror dweeb to to even know that that one exists. I think. But um, that still happens. I suppose that is a part of the the zeitgeist too. But that's very boutique, isn't it? Because you know there aren't places like the Alamo Draft House everywhere that are getting weird old copies of 35 millimeters at this point still, where it's like come in, turn off your phone. Damn it, we're gonna watch a movie. Yeah, you know that. I mean, is... I do have mixed feelings about there being an Alamo Draft House in New York City, but that's a whole other thing. Right. But get over it. I am glad they're doing that. Yeah. So it's interesting, and I, you know, because I think about like something like um, what was that movie called? It follows, right? That which I did not like. That was it. Oh wow! <laughs> I can't... It's a neon demon you liked. See, I like the Neon Maniacs. It's a whole anyway. Oh, I like that one too. Except it doesn't that, have it doesn't have an ending. That was almost on my list. Meet. That's where we meet. There you go. You meet. Wow, there you go. We <laughs> met the Neon, neon Maniacs. Yeah, yeah. We've got we both got some Neon in general. But yeah, I, I man, really? Did not you didn't like it follows. Like you like it follows, Adam. You don't, I, you don't I, like horror. I, movies. I don't like horror movies that much. But I think that's the thing is that that movie I would say started as a cult. I mean, it, that to your point, Danny, movies can still start cult. Yeah, it's just that the window between. The cult status to suddenly everybody knows about it because it's on every list, the the fifteen list that's been published on the internet of movies that you should have seen that you didn't or something. You know that sure that stuff happens in an instant now. Actually, so. to Danny's question too, was it follows? Was that Sundance? I don't remember honestly. That might be it at this point. Like if something plays at a festival and then you have to wait for it to be available somewhere else. I mean, maybe for those six months, The Witch, a New England folktale, was a cult film. Right, but and that's so weird like because, could, because we, think cult, out, like, well, we think of cult, but we think of cult in the exact opposite yeah. context usually, which is that a movie becomes a cult hit after, right? You know, yeah. like uh, it's been it's, out long like enough. Like John yeah. Carpenter's The Thing didn't actually do that great in theaters, but everybody loves it now. You know, everybody now knows that John Carpenter's The Thing is one of the greatest horror movies, if not straight up movies, period, ever made. It's yeah. so good, but when it came out. Nobody, nobody gave a crap. Right. So I mean, to me, it's it's sort of weird to think of that in in reverse, where it's the lead up, where people are like, "I got to see it, I got to see it, I got to see it," and that's the thing that makes I don't know. Yeah, I don't know how I feel about that. Because hmm. if it requires a certain amount of hindsight, it's hard to say to look at movies from the past two years and give them that status. I mean, it's depressing. I mean, the last one I really think about <laughs> is, is is Bubba Hotep. I mean, that movie yeah. didn't do much at the box office at all. 
didn't end up on a lot of like go see this movie in theaters lists, you know, but certainly developed a certain level of of notoriety after the fact on home video or whatever. I mean, the, you know, I think the the death of the home video market as we knew it has kind of changed this whole game as well. Well, and that's a very interesting point because um, home video is now on the upswing again, but it's it's not for new movies really. It's about uh, old movies getting these restorations, which I, now I'm talking about literally every week. But it really is true that there are more and more of these smaller companies that are getting prints and cleaning them up and giving them these loving restorations. And now there is a growing audience of people that are saying, I never even heard of this movie, but, oh, wow, they did the transfer looked great. This looks really interesting. And something that they might not have wanted to immediately digest because it is on this really low-grade VHS and it's hard to even hear or see what's happening. Now, all of a sudden, these films are getting new life. And there are people that are doing uh, an instant buy, a blind buy, as 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 it's known on, on the interwebs, on the internet forums, um, where you just don't know what you're going to get, but you give it a shot anyway. That is That is on the upswing again. So it's interesting. That is an interesting element to this cult conversation. Indeed. I do love me the Blu-rays. Yes. Now, <laughs> gentlemen, uh, in, in light of the two articles that will hopefully both be out by the time this podcast is released, uh, give me uh, a cult classic that you love that, yes, uh, you would not kill everybody if there was a remake or a sequel, and then uh, we'll do one that absolutely must be left alone, and, and you will let the the streets run red with the blood of the oppressors if they try and remake <laughs> that on you. I have a harder time with the first one than I do with the second one. Okay. You all right, well then we can shoot. We'll go in reverse. Which yeah. one absolutely must never ever ever be touched. All right. There's a movie from two thousand one, Brian Ink sitting across from me actually introduced me to this film on VHS in two thousand one. Really? Very old school passing you have to watch this. Which is a movie called The American Astronaut. Not the American Astronaut stalling starring Billy Bob Thornton. Uh, but the American astronaut starring a musician named Corey Maccabee who basically wrote a science fiction rock musical and shot it for what must have been like 20 bucks. It's black and white. Um, they figured out a really cool way to do like low gravity moonwalking. And the music is amazing. It's the story of an astronaut who has to basically deliver uh oh the genetic material for a real live woman to a planet of all male miners so that he can get the young boy who keeps the morale up for them and take him to the planet Venus that is populated entirely by women to replace their king who is the only man on the planet who had recently died and it's a musical it is so weird and it is so brilliant. You should see Danny's face right now. Yeah, it's Danny, great. I have the VHS if you'd like to borrow it. <laughs> you I have, you <laughs> don't know how happy I am. It did achieve enough I status. I love when I yeah. don't know a thing. Yeah. That's the best day. Yeah. When someone says, you never saw that movie? I don't know a guy that does that. It's I, very, he, when he does, he yeah. goes, you never saw that movie? It's a little annoying. I but wouldn't say that. I am always excited. You never yeah. saw that movie? I wouldn't say I that about that. the American Astronaut because I'm not surprised that a lot of people haven't seen it because it never really, I mean, it can't, it, 
I don't think it ever actually played in theaters in its first run, or if it did, it was very, very brief. Oh, it, it played a for like a week film. and yeah. twelve seconds. Yeah, yeah. yeah but, Cinema uh, for a week. Yeah, but the music <laughs> is great. It's it's just so it's so weird. For example, I'll give you an example. There's a, the main villain is Rocco Sisto's character, the character actor Rocco Sisto, Sisto, who is the biggest name in the movie, uh, is Professor Hess, the villain, who can only he only kills without reason. So if he has a reason to kill you, he can't kill you. So part of the plot of this movie is that he's going around trying to forgive the American astronaut, right, the, ma- the, ma- the main character, so that he can kill him because then there won't be any beef between them. But as long as there's beef between them, he can't kill them because then he'll have a reason to kill him. It's so weird, and it's so... That, that is put to song. Yeah, and that is entirely put to song. It is amazing. and uh, It is quite good. Dave. I highly recommend it. There's actually a DVD out there that's... that's, a, that's a, I mean, for what it's it is, it's a good transfer. Yet. Is it really? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, I have one. Ha-ha. <laughs> um, oh, here's the DVD. Yeah, oh, well, that's what I would really... I don't actually have a working VHS player at the moment. So that's my... I have my, my friend Matt is who I rely upon for these things. And the thing is, you could make a full-color, with special effects version of that movie... But there's absolutely no reason to because it is the the aesthetic is a hundred percent a part of the experience and it would just be destroyed by changing it. So there you go, the American really, astronaut. That's, a, that's, a, that's a really good one. I almost want to like it's not even on my current list of things I was going to write about. But man, how many musical things did you just pull out? You know what else you should never remake? Six String Samurai. I never saw Six Strings. Really? Yeah. I mean, that's. I mean, that's definitely. I mean, that's a. That's post-apocalyptic, and it involves a guy walking around with his with his uh, with his guitar. Wait a minute! I did see that movie. I'm sorry, <laughs> I totally forgot. Wow. That was the magic. Uh, that was the magic. That was the magic. I like that. I, I started describing, then you instantly remembered it. You had like a. Of course. Little, like a little yeah. image in your mind. Anyway, I mean, I don't know because this the word six. The Not title Six Strings Samurai. The best movie yeah. ever made. The title Six String <laughs> Samurai didn't give it away. I had to actually hear the description that it was a samurai <laughs> with a guitar. But yes, it's so funny. <laughs> yeah, it wasn't. Maybe I'll add it now. Maybe I'll maybe I'll subtract something out that I I, I think could be on there. But Six String Samurai is really good. I, I certainly, at least I haven't seen it in a while. But I remember seeing it with a buddy of mine in college and being like, "Yeah," because it's just it's just it's a baller film. It's like he's a tough guy, but you know he doesn't look like your typical tough guy. I mean, I, I feel like now we've made a lot of movies like that, but I would be interested to see if it still stands the test. Like, is that still a cult? Film or has that fallen out of? No, I would say Six String favor. Samurai is certainly a cult film. I just haven't thought about it. Even among geekdom, I think there's a lot of people who have not seen Six String Samurai. It just, just suddenly oh. came back to me. Um, what about you? What would you say has to be left alone for all time? Well, I'm a big fan of um, what I call 1990s period pieces of New York. All these movies that took place in New York in the 90s were shot in the 90s. That New York is so long gone. And my favorite of those is probably Abel Ferrara's The Addiction, which was shot in black and white, uh, which is about a grad student, played by Lily Taylor, who gets bitten by a vampire, played by Annabella Sciorra. And she has a new life as a vampire. And it's very, there's not a lot of gore. There's a lot of talk. There's a lot of philosophizing. There's Abel Ferrara's usual um, kind of religious uh, internal struggles that he has in all of his films. And it is so perfectly New York in 1995 that I hope it would never, someone would go, oh, you know what, we should make a movie about a grad student who gets bitten by a vampire because it wouldn't be anywhere near what it is. So that's one that shouldn't be touched. One that I reluctantly think could be remade 
to better effect, even though the film itself I adore with all of my heart, is Michael Mann's The Keep. Oh, The Keep. Yeah. The Keep is a perfect movie for what it is. Yeah. But you, I've, I love the novel as well. You could take that novel and make a better movie. That I will admit. But in terms of what Michael Mann brought, um, in terms of dream logic and dream imagery and tangerine dream, <laughs> there's just no comparison. I love The Keep. So, I, I, yeah, I, I totally For those of you who don't know, The Keep is about German soldiers who are assigned to take care of a keep in the Romanian pass that ends up being occupied by a golem, and then the Nazis come, and everyone gets killed. Yeah. It was designed to keep something in, not to keep people out. Never touch the crosses. Ian McKellen is in the keep. He is, and Gabriel Byrne, and Jürgen now. Yes, exactly. Scott Glenn. Yeah. And, yeah. and Tangerine Dream. Oh, the that score, score is sweet. Oh. That is tremendous. So you you could see the keep remade. <clears throat> wow, it's but something that would follow like, the book. I feel more. that's pretty. Bold. I would like to see the book. Yeah, all right. Adapted. All right. Yeah, more, the book is very more, different. Right. Yeah, the book is very different. Just more um, uh, faithfully. Yeah, and I will say the monster in the keep is, is perfect a, and should never be changed. <laughs> a prime example <laughs> of that era's special effects. Little uh, bit of trivia: the guy who plays the monster in the keep, Michael Carter, also played Bib Fortuna in Return of the Jedi. There you go. Nice. Same yeah. year, nineteen eighty-three. Wow, good year for that Look guy. Look at you. Yeah. you know that guy so was like, much. he probably bought a boat that year. Yeah. Good for him. <laughs> yeah. He bought a boat. <laughs> That's like such a specific thing. He's still in the Bib Fortuna makeup on the boat. He's on the water like, being yeah. like, man, it was worth every day. Yeah. <laughs> well, here's, I'm I actually, on, I'm and I. one's on a boat now. I came up with a couple, that, or one that I think that could be remade now. All right. And I'm going to get skewered for this, but it's more like. It could be remade through a filter of today. You'd have to update it for today's environment, but it could say a lot about it. It was just Repo Man. I was thinking about this. I think you could remake Repo Man as a commentary on today's society. This was totally on my maybes list. And and have it be good. I'm so excited because my whole point of view of doing only 10 of these per list was that I always intended, as long as you know, even five people read it, I said, We'll just keep doing these. We'll do them every year, you know. Here's another 10, yet another 10, you know. I mean, there's so many of these movies that you could either revisit or confirm. No, never, ever touch them. Yeah. But, yeah, totally Repo Man. Yes, it le- was that was on my – I have, like, a list of, like, 50 maybes. And, I mean, you'd have to com- you'd have to change so much about it because it's so much a period piece of that yeah, era as Los Angeles. You know, it has that sense of place and that sense of time. But you could kind of keep the same themes – in today's world, I think, and make it interesting. You'd have to you'd have to be bold, and whether a studio would actually do that is a whole other question. But uh, also, for the record, I have the keep and the addiction on VHS. There is no other way to own them. Oh, I also have the laser disc of the keep. Wait, what is, what I was going to say, mean? there's no Q on VHS, but they do so not have DVD. Naming movies. Q, the they do not have DVD yes. releases nor Blu-ray releases. Wow, I didn't know that. Well, that they released the, the well, keep. really, the keep never got the. Man, Criterion needs wanna, to get on now that. Now I want to know system. who's going to get a hold of that, though. Is it going to be Arrow or Vinegar Syndrome or Severin or Synapse or something else that starts with an S? I want someone's going to get it. Michael Mann just wants to keep that 
Is that true? In the closet, yeah. Do you know for a fact that that is true? Yes. That was pre his... Someone pre- eventually is going to Paramount's pay him eventually going to be like, money. you know what, Shout Factory, here you go. What does yeah. he care? Yeah, all right, well then, yeah, Shout's... Shout's Maybe it's going to be it's gonna be in Michael Mann's it. will. He will be buried with all <laughs> copies of The Keep. <laughs> in go. a keep. In a keep. Yes. Oh my God, yeah, I was actually great. surprised it was part of the Michael Mann retrospective at BAM last year. Yeah. They showed the keep this this old thirty five millimeter print that I saw in L A. I think it was the exact same print because I had the exact same unwatchable moments. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, nothing is unwatchable about the keep. No, I mean the, in terms of the quality of the print. Oh my god, Ian McKellen in that movie. You have you, Danny? You haven't seen the keep? Uh, I don't actually think I've seen it all the way through. I definitely I remember it being at least. Come on, man, that was occasionally on TV when I was a kid. Wasn't oh yeah, it? absolutely. Yeah. All right, Ian McKellen devours the scenery just whole. It's like his mouth expands and he eats the entire set. That's how much he is. He's chewing the scenery in that movie. Yeah, it's amazing. Yeah. All right. Ryan and I would reenact the scene from the keep here right now, but we're not going to do that. I want we'll probably that make to the happen. levels. Spicy yeah, exactly. This is, if, you, if you do this it properly, great. this yeah. is all right. Well, eventually, supposedly, we're going to have um, like a place to do actual live video stuff on yeah. the reg. And one of the things I want to have happen is editors enacting badly their favorite scenes from weird movies, and that has that has to happen. You guys need to do the key. I can't act badly. I'm sorry. I can only act well. Well, you should act well for you, and then we'll see it. Pause. Uh, wow. Yeah, pause, pause, pause. I want to well, see that, though. That sounds great yeah. to me. That, all right, there you go. I'll pitch, we'll, we'll all pitch that to Jesse. I'll pitch it to Jesse. You guys will be against it, but I'll, I'll sway him anyway, and then you'll hate me, but I'll be happy. Will you bring in that rum that we had at, I the, will. at our, at I'll our bring Wake that rum in podcast we'll episode, yeah, yeah. and we'll be set. That sounds great. Danny, so you wrote the articles. I did. So you already have your I have a list. list I have but... a list of things. I want to name the one that I thought would make people angriest, because that's the way I do it. Um... I wanted I wanted to do a remake of Barbarella with Paul Feig directing and Kate McKinnon as the star. I love it. And let it be hilarious. And also to Let's quote see. to quote Danny, it would be spy in space. Doesn't that fall into your trap of self-referentialism though and like But I don't but I don't I think that the thing about Barbarella <laughs> is that it's is that it just takes itself too seriously. Because that's the problem with that movie, right? Is it starts out so cool, and then it, it's there's an orgasm it, machine. It kind of becomes unwatchable. It does. It just I want it to be so good, and it isn't. And I think that if you let the pomp and circumstance be a little funny, because the thing is, you could still play it straight, but let that be be more fun than it was. I think that'd be great. I mean, it doesn't have to be Paul Feig, but Kate McKinnon is Barbarella? I'm so down for that. I, I would watch Kate would be, McKinnon do anything. I think I she'd be that, listen. But, I'm just saying that she'd I think she'd be a monster Barbarella. So, I stand by that. I wrote it and I thought that people would get really I didn't write it just to make people mad, but that was one of the reasons I wrote it. Listen, I'm, I'm mean. I'm furious. Good. Right good. But I as you no, should be. But I do think I do think it kind of plays to that point because we've seen that with with like Will Ferrell's Land of the Lost, right? You take something that was cheesy and bad and and make something that's deliberately cheesy or But the thing is it really but it, dep- it depends on it, it depends on who's doing it, right? So like part of my problem, like I love Frank Oz. I don't mean to call it Frank Oz, but this is a problem he sometimes falls into. I think of God Jesus, that version of Step for Wives he did made me want to break everything. Because he played it so goofy. I hate like the original Step for Wives I love and what he made it into was like a travesty. But I think it really depends on how capable the hands are. Do you know what I mean? Uh, I don't think that um, you go out to make a bad Barbarella. You just go out 
and say, this concept is ridiculous. So let the the character, let Barbarella be aware that it's a little ridiculous, but still go for it. I like the idea of Kate McKinnon being like, oh, you're putting me in the in the orgasmatron? All right. You know, like she's got like the, the cigarette. I just think that there's a lot of, there's a lot of ways for her to sell that in a way that is genuinely funny. I just think it depends on the talent. Like if you're just trying to make it into an SNL movie, no, that's a bad idea. But if you're letting it be what it is and acknowledging that part of that is funny, not because it's bad, but because it's a little over the top and wild, I don't know. I think you could make it work. I think you could. That's my opinion. Oh, it's... <laughs> I'm not, I don't know, I'm not sold. I, 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 I don't know, I just, I, that level of, like, winky-winky, we're all in on the joke thing, it just, it, bu- it bugs me a lot. And I, I, well, I'm not, like, sitting here saying Barbarella is some sacred text that must be protected. It's just more th- that tone in general in films that are remakes of older stuff. I, I don't tend to appreciate as much. Where it's well, like, Brian agrees with me, so you right, know. I lose. So it's happening. So yes, exactly. yeah, this movie it's has been done. Greenlit. It's done yet. You just yeah. God, just don't see it then. He's yeah. got Brian's got Kate McKinnon on speed dial. Yeah. Oh, oh yeah, so you guys wish. Are, yeah. are biffles. Yeah. <laughs> so did anything? Uh, anything you had also? Or is that tomorrow's list? Is the ones not to be messed tomorrow with? is the one that's that's not to be messed. So with. So what didn't make that list that is a title that you think should not be messed with? I don't even remember now. Oh God! This is—it's all is, a blur. This one is still like mid-process, so uh, I'm trying to remember what. I don't remember. I'm gonna say one that is on there though. Okay. Um, Spoilers. Kill, Killer clowns from outer space should not be remade because I don't trust anybody to let that be fun. They would always make the clowns deliberately as scary as they could be, and I think that much like it. Uh, Stephen King's It. I think that what makes Killer Clowns kind of scary in, in certain moments is that the clowns are really goofy as they're killing people. Right. You know, there's this sequence where, you know, they've turned the cop into, like, a meat puppet. Oh, I hate that scene. I love it. I mean, I it's know. It's really, I, yeah. really unsettling. It, that's why I hate it. But yeah. they're but they're so, like, hee-hee-hee about it. And, and the rest of the movie is often really very silly and over-the-top and hilarious. And I just don't believe that I just don't know if there's ever going to be a time that people are going to be willing to make a movie like that again with clowns, specifically clowns. Right. Because my one where I thought you could make another sequel or a remake is uh, Attack of the Killer Tomatoes. But there's no way to make tomatoes killing people serious. Right. That's impossible. But, boy, people will try to make clowns serious all the time, and they shouldn't. There I mean, go. it would have been the perfect time for that last year when there were all these clown sightings in the woods and stuff that people were reporting online. Yeah, but so they, that but could have been a marketing but, ploy for a Killer Clowns know, remake, so, and it would have been yeah, perfect. Too serious. Too well, serious. too late. Yep, too late. Too you missed it, and, that, and now it'll never, ever, ever, no, ever, ever happen. That movie. Yep. Uh, that movie. First of all, committed a cardinal sin. Oh, <laughs> in that it the kills pope, a dog. The Pope. There's a scene agrees. where they kill a dog. All right, I do agree with that. that is there is a, bad. Is someone, the dog, the dog is, killed, is right, sniffing right, right. around outside of the outside of the tent spaceship, and uh, this net comes out and grabs the dog, and you hear, and the dog's dead, man. But you hear the squealing off camera. Yeah, you don't see it. You don't pretty, see the dog. It's pretty. It's kind of. A it's trouble. still. It no, is terrible. I don't it's like a it. terrible thing to do. Yeah. you don't kill dogs. And then no, that meat puppet scene. I remember seeing. I think I saw that movie on USA Up All Night. Oh yeah, for sure. That and, was on uh, Up All Night all the time. That's where I saw it. And even still, that scene just freaked me out because he's got the red dots on his cheeks, right? Yeah. 
And oh, oh yeah, God, that freaked me out. That that may be the root of my chlorophobia entirely. Oh my God, we've yeah. just, yes, we've discovered it. But that's the thing is that now I think if you tried to make it, you'd go too far, and it wouldn't be scary at all, and it would just be boring. Interesting. That's my position. All right. Just like you know, reverse cowgirl, and also. <laughs> <laughs> no more killer clowns. Well, in the meantime, by the time you guys are listening to this, you can go to Sci-Fi Wire and read the rest of Danny's list. Yeah, um, untouchable. Main image now has to be killer clowns from outer space. Exactly, so exactly. As junior editor, I'll make sure of it. There you go. All right, well, you know, don't get out of turn now, Junior. I understand. You know, I, I mean, you know, don't get don't get now, wild. You got to let me make the decisions. You had they live on the should be remade list, right? Yes, because it's I love it, but it's super boring. And if you just put Dwayne the Rock Johnson, the rest kind of writes itself. Wow. Yeah, the Rock. It, it's that like movie, I literally don't have to say anything else. That movie was waiting for the right person to be able to take that role. Yes. That's like Rowdy Roddy Piper is so iconic in that role. Yes. And now we have Dwayne Rock Johnson, and he only has gotten better and better with time. I love him more and more with each passing day. Who's our Keith David? Oh, it's still Keith David. (laughs) Yes. Just bring Keith David back. It's just Keith David. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway. Expand that fight scene to 25 25 minutes. Yeah, it's literally just the whole movie. Actually, the whole movie is just the two of them fighting, and in the background, like the weird zombie looking aliens are like, what? Yeah. Anyway. Who are these guys? Anyway, Can anyone consume. No problem. <laughs> anyway, I remember the end of that film and that uh, where it just is like, hey, "Hey, what's wrong, baby? What's wrong, baby?" <laughs> and then it just ends. And the perfect like end cut that Carpenter is so good at. It's yeah, like, no, it's over. Yeah, yeah. I think that that was the moment I truly understood John Carpenter, like uh, having seen the thing up to that point and having seen a couple other films. And it's like I saw that. I was like, oh, okay. Yeah, I, I just the thing is, I am aware of the fact. Like, I grew up on it, you know. Yeah. So I love it, but I showed it to my wife, and as you know, we watched Deep Space Nine. She's like, "This is great," and we watched They Live, and she she said that this is bad. What? Yeah, it's it's just it's way too slow. It's just it's a little. I mean, the makeup effects are great. She hated the fight sequence. That's a that's an argument for another day. That fight sequence is amazing, wow. but it does go on for way too long. I mean, whatever. It's for a certain crowd, let's yeah. say. I just think that you could make a really cool Dwayne the Rock Johnson action movie out of They Live. But it would be, yeah, it would be so different. That's the thing. Like, it wouldn't. They, it would be so different that it's like, no if you like the original, would, yeah, would be if you allowed like the to original, make a movie you, can't, you can't ruin the original. Yeah. You can't take anything away from it. If you love it, you're always going to love it. And I think that the, if you made a new one, like a fun action movie with the zombie looking aliens, it would be great. I've got it even better. Go ahead. Ronda Rousey. Really? Can she do, does she act well enough though? This is the problem. No, but neither did she... Rowdy Roddy Piper. Oh, and their names are very similar. There you go. All right, all right. Gender think, swap that. I'll, stuff, th- I'll man. think about it. Junior, Junior, what do you think of that idea? Yeah, I want the rock. <laughs> I mean, when you when you have the chance to cast the rock, you always cast the rock. It's, it doesn't matter That's what true. the part is. Well, wait a minute. They could both be in it. That's true. Cool. Settled. Settled. Yeah, we've nailed it. All right. So it's it's. Uh, Dwayne The Rock Johnson, Ronda Rousey, and still Keith David. Keith David, they live. Done. They live 2K17. Let's make this happen, you guys. Okay. With our vast resources. We got to go do that right now. Let's wrap up this podcast. <laughs> we'll call so we John go Carpenter, because he should direct it again. Yeah, we'll just have him do it again. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, a shot-for-shot remake like the Psycho remake <laughs> that Gus Van Zandt did. We got it. This is gold right here.
You took something so good, <laughs> and then you took it away. That's what I do. You bastard. Anyway. That's why right. he's the boss. So that's that's cult classics, but we want to hear from you guys. Uh, what are your favorite cult classic films? Definitely check out the features on Sci-Fi Wire that Danny wrote. Uh, cult classics that should be messed with and remade. Cult classics that should not be messed with and remade. And uh, let us know your thoughts in the comments. You can tweet at us and rate and review this podcast. And let us know what you like, what you don't like, what you want to hear more of. Uh, we definitely want to hear from you. We're on iTunes. So look us up there, give us a review, and say hi. Uh, thank you guys so much for joining me this week, joining us this week. Brian, if you want to uh, let people know where they can find you on the internet. You're not on the Twitters. Oh, I'm on the Twitters. You at, are on the Twitters. At, at Brian Ank, B-R-Y-A-N-E-N-K. There you go. And um, lurking about sci-fi, uh, Sci-Fi Wire now. Yeah. And uh, here's hoping that um, Aaron comes back to us safe. Yes, if Travelor releases him. <laughs> yeah. Something, something, that's that's roof cottages. Exactly. Um, yes, and uh, I'm Danny Roth, and you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Danny Ordinary. Uh, that's Danny with one N, Ordinary, also with one N. And I'm Adam Swiderski, editor-in-chief of Sci-Fi Wire, and you can find me at Rock the Faces on Twitter, Instagram, and Snapchat. And wherever you find us, we hope we find you uh, next time for a new episode of Who Won the Week. See you.